Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, December 9th, 2022, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topsher with today's top stories. Brittany Griner is released in a Russian prisoner swap. Putin admits the Ukraine war could be a long-term process. Iran carries out its first protest-related execution. More classified documents are found at a Trump storage site. Narendra Modi's BJP party is set for a record win in India's Gujarat state. Pakistani investigators say journalist Arshad Sharif's killing in Kenya was planned. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is said to be facing a market manipulation inquiry. The Biden administration urges the Supreme Court to hold big tech liable for recommending dangerous content. The NFL's Dan Snyder is accused of obstructing a House probe into the Washington Commanders. And Croatia joins Europe's free travel zone. In our first story, WNBA star Brittany Griner is freed in a prisoner swap. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS, the Associated Press, Reuters, The New York Times, and CNN. Following a high-level negotiation between the U.S. and Russia, detained U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner was released on Thursday in a prisoner exchange for Russian arms dealer Victor Boot. U.S. President Biden announced that Griner was safe and on a plane home. Russia had been holding the two-time Olympic gold medalist since detaining her at Moscow's Sheremetyevo Airport in February for carrying vape canisters with cannabis oil in her luggage. Her detention coincided with the start of the war in Ukraine, which complicated U.S. relations with the Kremlin. Greiner, whose lawyer argued she needed the medical cannabis, illegal in Russia, to assuage pain from injuries, pleaded guilty to possession in July. Boot, considered the highest-profile Russian held by the U.S., was convicted for allegedly conspiring to kill Americans in 2011 and was in the midst of a 25-year sentence. He has also been accused of supplying arms to al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and rebels in Rwanda. The UAE president and Saudi crown prince released a joint statement saying they led the mediation efforts. The White House later denied their involvement, saying Greiner's release was negotiated only between the U.S. and Russia. The exchange did, however, take place in Abu Dhabi. There had been hope the U.S. would also be able to secure the release of former Marine Paul Whelan, who has been detained since 2018. Biden said that Russia is treating Whelan's case differently than Britney's, but we are not giving up. On this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts, and here are our narrative spins, beginning with the Republican narrative from Town Hall. Biden is treating this like a victory, and it might be in terms of public relations because of Griner's status as a star athlete. But the fact remains that Whelan, a man who served his country in the armed forces, has been left behind. And the U.S. has clearly been taken advantage of in this trade of the merchant of death for a basketball player. The Democratic narrative comes from CNN. Of course, it's disappointing that Whelan remains imprisoned. But Griner's release in the face of sexist and racist backlash, even from her fellow Americans, is a triumph. And with Griner's family working to keep Whelan's name in the news, perhaps this is a step toward freeing him in the near future. For the uninitiated, Brittany Griner isn't just some women's basketball player. She really is one of like the top players in the WNBA. Oh, yeah. She's she is a star. She's, yeah, she's she's pretty close to the star in the WNBA. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so it's good to see that she's uh, free. Man, I, these negotiations must be so freaking hard at this high yeah. level diplomatic stuff because they're not just obviously negotiating for these people. It's posturing, it's strength, it's public right. relations, it's all these things. It must be so, so hard. Right. Right. It It is also hard to just watch these countries play these people like a game of chess. Yeah. <sighs> well. And now our daily roundup of the conflict in Ukraine as we reach day 288 of the fighting. As Putin admits the war could be a long-term process. And Europe lacks defense capabilities, according to a top diplomat. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, BBC News, Irish Times the European Defense Agency, and Ukraine Forum. In a meeting with his Human Rights Council on Wednesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin admitted the war could turn into a long-term process, but hailed the achievements of his military's territorial gains to date. In response to a question, Putin said, As for the slow process of the special military operation, then, of course, it can be a long-term process. But then you mentioned that new territories had appeared. This is such a significant result for Russia. The Azov Sea has become an internal Russian sea. Even Peter I had fought for access to the Azov Sea. Meanwhile, on the question of nuclear weapons, Putin said, Such a threat is growing. It would be wrong to hide it. However, he insisted that under no circumstances would Russia use the weapons first. We have not gone mad. We are aware of what nuclear weapons are, he said. We aren't about to run around the world brandishing this weapon like a razor. Asked to comment on Putin's remarks, U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price said, We think any loose talk of nuclear weapons is absolutely irresponsible. Whether it is nuclear saber-rattling or even raising the specter of the use of tactical nuclear weapons is something that is irresponsible. Elsewhere, Josep Borrell, the EU's chief foreign policy advisor and head of the European Defense Agency, or EDA, said the war in Ukraine has been a wake-up call for Europe to replenish its military stockpiles after years of underspending. Echoing earlier remarks from Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin, Burrell said, we lack critical defense capabilities. On the ground, fighting remained heaviest in the Donetsk region, where Ukrainian officials said nine civilians were killed and 15 more were injured in the past day. Separatist officials from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DPR, said that two civilians were killed in Ukrainian attacks for the same time period. Russian attacks were also recorded in Kherson, where two civilians were reported killed, and in Zaporizhia, where one person was reported injured. Russian attacks were also recorded in the regions of Sumy, Kharkiv, Mykolaiv, and Dnipropetrovsk, without reports of civilian casualties. Thank you, Scott, for the facts on that story. We've got an anti-Russian narrative from Newsweek. Putin's Human Rights Council, like many other public events conducted by the Kremlin, was highly orchestrated to avoid the Russian leader facing scrutiny and difficult questions. The remarks are largely meaningless. And TASS brings us the pro-Russia narrative. In a show of transparency, Putin took a host of questions about the ongoing conflict from journalists and civic leaders. The president offered leadership by giving frank responses to a range of issues in order to help settle the minds of the Russian population. And we have our first nerd narrative today, saying there's a 50% chance that Vladimir Putin will cease to hold the office of president of Russia by November 2024. That's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. 
So if 50% chance by November, so in, in the next year, Vladimir Putin not being the president of Russia, so he could be defeated in some sort of election or deposed or impeached. It seems all pretty unlikely. I think they might be saying there's a 50% chance he could be killed, right? Mm. Uh, yes, you can get a read between the statistical lines, don't you, Scott? Yeah. Iran conducts a first protest-related execution. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, DW, CNN, The Independent, New York Times, and France 24. On Thursday, Iran announced its first known execution of a prisoner convicted of an alleged crime during the ongoing nationwide protests. The man, whom Iranian media identified as Moshen Shakari, was arrested after allegedly blocking Sattar Khan Boulevard in the capital of Tehran on September 25th and injuring a security guard with a machete. On November 20th, the Supreme Court upheld the verdict against him for waging war against God. According to Amnesty International, Iranian authorities have sought the death penalty for at least 21 people in connection with the protests. Tehran claims that the demonstrations, in which at least 458 people are believed to have been killed, are fueled by foreign forces. The anti-government protests, which turned into demands for regime change, began in mid-September after 22-year-old Masha Amini was detained by the morality police for violating the hijab law and died in custody. More than 18,000 people are believed to have been arrested since the protests erupted. Meanwhile, in one of the largest general strikes in decades, businesses have reportedly been closed in Tehran, Isfahan, and many other cities in recent days. The nationwide strikes are said to signal the next phase of protests, calling for an end to clerical rule in the country. On Tuesday, former Iranian President Mohammad Khatami expressed his support for the protest movement, saying that its slogan, Woman, Life, Freedom, shows that Iranian society is moving toward a better future. He also criticized the arrest of students amid the security forces crackdown. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have an establishment critical narrative from the Tehran Times. In condemning Tehran's crackdown, the West is once again exercising double standards. No government in the world would stand idly by while rioters destroy public property and terrorists masquerading as protesters randomly target security forces. Moreover, the majority of the Iranian population refuses to join the protests, which are being fueled by the hypocritical West to destabilize Iran and instigate a civil war like in Syria. The Jerusalem Post writes the pro-establishment narrative. Only an illegitimate and inhumane government like the theocratic regime in Tehran kills people who take to the streets for legitimate causes. In the past, the international community turned a blind eye as Tehran mass-executed its own citizens. This time, the West can no longer remain silent, given the ruthlessness of the Islamists who rule Iran. It's no longer a matter of reforming the existing regime, but of regime change. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 50% chance that Iran will cease to be an Islamist republic by May of 2033. Two more classified documents are found at a Trump storage site. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, The Independent, New York Magazine, CNBC, and Reuters. 
According to sources familiar with the matter, two more documents with classified markings were found in a Florida storage unit used by former President Trump during an independent search by a team hired by his lawyers. Both documents have reportedly been handed over to the FBI. The team is believed to have searched several properties, including Trump's Bedminster, New Jersey golf club, his home and office at Trump Tower, and a storage unit in West Palm Beach, Florida. The searches came at the request of a federal judge who instructed Trump's lawyers to ensure all sensitive material had been turned over to the federal government. One source said the storage unit is run by the General Services Administration and that Trump had never been inside of it. Though people close to Trump reportedly stated earlier that no classified material had been found during the searches, this is now reported to be incorrect. This comes after FBI agents already seized thousands of documents containing approximately 100 marked classified during a court-approved August 8th search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach. There's a Democratic narrative on this story coming from Common Dreams. It has been a terrible week for Trump. Alongside news of even more classified documents being retrieved, his company was found guilty of a heap of fraud while his hand-picked candidate lost the Senate race in Georgia. Having gotten away with a lot for an individual who has long been digging a brazenly illegal hole, it seems reality is finally starting to catch up with Trump. And the conservative treehouse brings us a pro-Trump narrative. The deep state has long used its national security claim to retain its power over outsiders and the common people, and the DOJ's continued refusal to give the Trump team access to the warrant they used to initially search his home is a prime example. If the DOJ has nothing to hide and the entire investigation is not an illegal witch hunt, why have they still not unredacted the full affidavit? And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 36% chance that any U.S. court will rule that Donald J. Trump is disqualified from holding the presidency before January 20th of 2025. Melissa, I'm a weirdo. This is the kind of thing I look into. But did you know there's a whole subculture of people who, like, live in storage units? No, I did not know that. So there's all different tips (laughs) and tricks you can do. Like, you're not allowed to live in a storage unit. It's just not. Correct. It's not good. It's not it's not good for the storage unit people. And it's I'm not advising it. Um, You know, people some people can freeze to death. You can starve to death. You could get stuck in there and no one's going to know you're in there. Uh, But there's all kinds of tips and tricks. There's one thing that uh, you can do. So usually there's a light bulb fixture in there, but there's not a power plug on Mm. by by design. You know, they don't want there to be a power plug in there. But you can go to Home Depot and you can buy this thing. You would screw into a light fixture and it makes it into a power plug. So. That's my tip to all you uh, storage container livers. Scott, um, do you have something you want to share with me? Is everything okay? I, I, listen, everything's fine, but if everything goes becomes not fine, I, I got a plan. That's that's all I can say. Okay. All right. So it's just backup. Gotcha. Yeah, just in case. But, you know, uh, if, if things, if, go, if things south, go wrong, I will look for you in West Palm Beach. There's know? an yeah. available one right now. Yeah, they just cleared <laughs> it out. Turning our attention to India's election, Prime Minister Modi's BJP wins a record landslide in Gujarat. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Al Jazeera, Hindustan Times, and Reuters. India's ruling Bharatiya Janata Party, or BJP, won a record landslide victory in Prime Minister Narendra Modi's home state of Gujarat, as Thursday's election results showed it received 
156 seats out of 182, a more than 80% majority and the highest of any party in the state's history. Despite retaining its 27-year control in Gujarat, the BJP lost to its main opposition, the Congress Party, in the northern state of Himachal Pradesh. Meanwhile, the relatively new Am Admi Party, or AAP, which already has control of Delhi and Punjab, campaigned heavily in Gujarat. Despite winning only five seats, it secured 13% of the vote, becoming a national party. The Congress Party lost 60 seats in Gujarat and is reportedly losing ground nationally as a dominant political force as the AAP looks to replace it as BJP's main opposition. While Modi, who took office in 2014, remains popular in his home state, some have accused him of stoking religious divide, and according to a Delhi think tank, economic concerns are resulting in younger voters turning away from the BJP. Modi tweeted, Thank you, Gujarat. Following the results, as supporters celebrated outside the BJP office in the state capital, Ganhinagar. Experts predict the BJP's strong showing is a good sign for Modi's re-election campaign in 2024. Thank you for the facts on that story, Scott. We've got several spins and the left narrative coming from Al Jazeera. Unfortunately, hate continues to win in Gujarat. Modi has ingrained Islamophobia into state policy and employed it to color people's votes, despite obvious and growing dissatisfaction with his politics. This is a dangerous time for Muslims in Gujarat, as the BJP only stokes hatred and division. And a right narrative comes from Op India. The patriotic people of Gujarat delivered a decisive victory to the BJP and Prime Minister Modi's agenda of development. Amid the celebrations, however, were the loud voices of the opposition who can't seem to accept fair and democratic elections when those elections don't go their way. Sounds familiar. (laughs) That's our, hey, that's our thing. Hold on a second. Yeah. (laughs) It's contagious. Yeah. Yeah. What isn't nowadays? A new report states that Pakistan journalist Sharif's murder was a planned assassination. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Pakistan Today, Op India, Dawn, and the Express Tribune. In a report released Wednesday, Pakistani investigators concluded that the killing of Pakistani investigative journalists Arshad Sharif in the Kenyan capital of Nairobi in October wasn't a case of mistaken identity, as claimed by Kenyan police, but a planned, targeted assassination. According to the fact-finding team, there were several discrepancies and contradictions to the Kenyan police's version of the events that led to his death. In addition, the investigators allege that transnational characters from Kenya, Dubai, and Pakistan could have been involved in his murder. The team further claimed that the Kenyan police were apparently used as instruments in Sharif's killing and that his host was connected to Kenya's National Intelligence Service and other international agencies and law enforcement. Meanwhile, Pakistani TV cited the post-mortem report as saying that the renowned Pakistani journalist wasn't fatally shot in a moving car, but was forced out of the vehicle and tortured for nearly three hours before being shot in the head and right lung. Sharif, a vocal opponent of the current Pakistani government, fled into exile earlier this year after charges of sedition were filed against him. 
He was also reportedly behind a documentary about corruption during the Nawaz Sharif-led government that was about to be released at the time of his death. On Thursday, Pakistan's Supreme Court ordered a five-member special investigation team tasked with investigating the case to submit a progress report every two weeks. According to Pakistan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif had spoken directly with the Kenyan president and explicitly requested assistance. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a pro-establishment narrative from the print. Sharif was shot dead to end his ongoing investigation of corruption at the highest levels of Pakistan's military. It's no secret that the Pakistani generals, who run the inter-services intelligence, work hand-in-hand with Afghan and Pakistani drug cartels. Sharif was working to expose their ulterior motive to raise funds for global terrorists and fill their pockets, and was promptly silenced. The establishment critical narrative is provided by Global Village Space. Sharif's murder silenced a very influential voice warning Pakistanis against U.S. interests in their region and sent a chill down the spine of Pakistani journalists seeking to challenge global hegemony. The U.S. is clearly behind Sharif's brutal murder. Only the CIA has the resources, experience, and expertise to assassinate troublesome individuals in foreign countries. Despite this, there is very little chance that authorities will be able to conclusively trace the assassins and bring them to justice. You know how how convoluted some of these spy movies can get. Like you think of the Bourne Identity, and oh, oh, is it? You think it's this person, and then there's a plot twist, and it's this person, and there's a right. plot twist, and it's that person. I I have no idea what's going on in any of these Mission Impossible movies, and I know those are just those aren't supposed to be like super heady movies. I can't follow the plot. I mean, I enjoy flying around and and punching dudes in bathrooms and and jumping out of planes. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one cuz I I also agree, I also enjoy all of the martial arts but um yeah, forget it. I I I can't I, follow the plot either. I, I I would be very I don't know if anyone is this is does the emperor have no clothes? Does no one know what the thing is and I'm finally blowing the lid off this that no one knows what's happening in these Mission Impossible movies? It could be. It could be that all my family is pretending they they understand what's going on and they're just trying to make me feel dumb. A report is claiming that FTX's founder is facing a market manipulation inquiry. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fi News, The New York Times, Reuters, Business Insider, and Daily Mail. Federal prosecutors in New York are probing FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried over potential market manipulation leading to the collapse of Terraform Labs cryptocurrencies, Terra USD and Luna, to benefit FTX and its hedge fund, Alameda Research. Terra USD was supposedly a so-called stable coin, but unlike other stable coins, it wasn't backed by the US dollar. Instead, its value came from the Luna coin through a complex set of algorithms. Whenever Terra USD's price fell, traders would create more Lunas to match the difference. In May, traders and exchanges saw a sudden increase in sell orders for Terra USD, which under normal circumstances would have been met with matching buy orders of Luna. However, the overwhelming shift led to an abnormal drop in value for both coins. The investigation is in its preliminary stages, and prosecutors have yet to provide a timeline for the probe or announce any misconduct by Bankman Freed. Prosecutors are reportedly seeking information from investors and potential investors in FTX. 
This comes as FTX and its founder face multiple other investigations into the company's collapse last month. Extraditing Bankman Freed from the Bahamas to the U.S. would require cooperation between the two nations. The U.S. House Finance Service Committee is also looking into the FTX crash with Committee Chair Representative Maxine Waters, Democrat of California, having faced scrutiny for allegedly initially suggesting she wouldn't subpoena Bankman Freed. She later stated, a subpoena is definitely on the table. Stay tuned. Thank you, Scott. We've got several narrative spins for this story as well. The Republican narrative comes from the New York Post. While authorities are looking into Sam Bankman-Fried and his years-long Ponzi scheme, you shouldn't hold your breath waiting for an indictment. The crypto king, dubbed SBF, has gotten away with his crimes for so long because he's been a top Democrat donor. This is why he's received praise from the media and cautious treatment by the government, even after his so-called company collapsed and millions lost their savings. New York Magazine brings us the Democratic narrative. While some have jumped the gun and compared Bankman-Fried to Bernie Madoff, this case is actually very different. Madoff immediately confessed to all of his crimes, and the feds were also able to compile concrete evidence against him. Neither of these has occurred in the case of FTX and Bankman-Fried. Congress and the Department of Justice are looking into the issue, but it will take some time to build a case against the crypto CEO. Do you think crypto is going to come around again? Or is this I the think end? so. I, I, no, I think it's going to come around again. Something going from over the course of like 12 months from, you know, 15,000 to 60,000 is not natural. That's not a good, that's not real value. That's, that's something else. Mm. Uh, but I think that they're, the, the thing that fascinated me about Bitcoin is that people wanted to use it as a way to make like anonymous transactions or untraceable transactions. But if you understand, if I understand what Bitcoin is, every single transaction is copied as a mathematical equation on this so-called blockchain. Hmm. So every it's the it's 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 more traceable than than a regular transaction or at least as traceable as a regular transaction. You could go if you got your hands on this publicly, the whole thing counts on that. This this blockchain, every transaction can be verified. So the people that were trying to make like illegal transactions and things on it, thinking they could be untraceable, like that was the opposite mm. of what it is. So you're saying that real cryptocurrency is cold, hard cash. Well, I think that the pro yes, I think that the problem with cryptocurrency is that the people that were enthusiastic about it wanted it to be this like, untethered, ungovernment regulated thing. Mm, and I right. think it needs oversight to work correctly or else this type of thing happens. And if you're going to have oversight on it, then what's the point? So right. I don't know. It's 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 the, the Venn diagram of who would be into it is shrinking. But mm. I think there's still something to be said for it. I mean, what's really interesting, which is, is a cliche to say now, the, the blockchain technology might be useful, but maybe not as a currency. Well, the what the way I believe way way things usually work, and I think is when everyone says that something is gone, is when something can be more likely to come back. Um, and then when everyone says everything is fine, you should put all your money into this. That's probably the wrong time to do it. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> people are starting to jump off the boat. So maybe it's the time to buy in. Who knows? Yeah. Well, it'll be it'll be low. Bye bye bye. The Biden administration urges the Supreme Court to narrow protections for big tech. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, CNN, and The Hill. 
In a filing to the Supreme Court on Wednesday, President Biden's administration argued there should be limits to Section 230 protections for social media companies, and companies should face liability in cases where their algorithms recommend dangerous content to users. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act was passed by Congress in 1996 to shield all websites, including social media platforms, from being sued over the dissemination of third-party content. It has been criticized from both sides of the political aisle because of its potential contribution to the spread of hate speech and misinformation, as well as political discrimination. The Supreme Court is presiding over a lawsuit filed by the family of Noemi Gonzalez, an American who was killed by Islamist militants in a mass shooting at a Paris bistro in 2015. Gonzalez's family argues Alphabet, The parent company of Google and YouTube should share liability for the deaths because YouTube recommended videos by the Islamic State group to the killers through an algorithm. In its brief, the Department of Justice didn't argue for Google to be held liable in the specific case and voiced support for most of the protections Section 203 provides. But the department suggested that more scrutiny should come for algorithms like this one used by YouTube and other platforms. Senator Josh Hawley, Republican of Missouri, also filed a brief in this case, writing that Section 230 hasn't been applied correctly to social media platforms, and far from making the Internet safer for children and families, Section 230 now allows platforms to escape any real accountability for their decision-making, as the tragic facts and procedural history of this case make clear. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. Narrative A comes from Axios. Reducing Section 230 protections would cause a tidal wave of litigation and the financial collapse of social media platforms. These companies have invested heavily in content-moderating technology and are doing their best to keep dangerous content from spreading. Leave Section 230 alone. It holds an important function in protecting platforms from overwhelming lawsuits. And Narrative B comes from Bloomberg Law. It's time for big tech to stop ducking responsibility for the harm its platforms cause and face the same liability as other industries. For too long, social media platforms have gotten away with aiding and abetting horrific events and movements. It's time for the antiquated Section 230 to be reformed. The reality of the Internet in the 1990s does not apply to 2022. I kind of miss the 90s Internet. It was kind of fun when, like, Everything was free. Everything was annoying. I mean, I guess if I had to go back and use that, I would be appalled by how slow it was. That would probably be what yes. would happen to me. Yeah, that would that would be the kicker is the speed. But yeah, I mean, I miss everything about the 90s. But yeah, uh, the Internet was was still fun and uh, and mysterious. And um, you still got chain letters mostly in your email. A House committee says the NFL's commander's owner obstructed an inquiry. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ESPN, Bleacher Report, Fox News, Axios, and NPR Online News. The U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform on Thursday said Washington commander's owner Dan Snyder obstructed a congressional investigation into his football team and gave misleading testimony. The committee released a 79-page report claiming that Snyder permitted and participated in the team's reportedly toxic work culture amid multiple allegations of sexual misconduct. The report said Snyder evaded questions over 100 times, 
claiming he didn't know the answer or could not recall information. Snyder is also accused of publicly assailing witnesses, refusing to release former employees from confidentiality agreements, and blocking congressional access to thousands of documents. The committee also claims that Snyder interfered with an NFL investigation into the team's culture that started in July of 2020, with the NFL fining the commanders $10 million. The results weren't publicly released. Committee Chair Representative Carolyn Maloney, Democrat of New York, claims the NFL knew about the pervasive misconduct in Washington, but chose not to meaningfully address it. She contends that the NFL investigation was essentially a public relations stunt and the league was only intent on burying its findings. Snyder's representatives say the committee's report is a one-sided attack, with House Republicans saying they will drop the case once they take control of the lower chamber next month. Thank you, Scott, for the facts on that story. We've got a Democratic narrative written by Pro Football Network. The House Oversight Committee's report is a damning indictment of Dan Snyder and the toxic culture he created as Washington's NFL owner. Not only did Snyder turn a blind eye to abhorrent behavior like sexual harassment, but he also actively participated in such behavior. To make things worse, Snyder did all he could to obstruct investigations, tamper with witnesses, and exacerbate problems. And the New York Times brings us a Republican narrative. Committee Democrats are more concerned with investigating the non-criminal activities of a professional football team than they are with providing relief to the American people during troubling economic times. The Democrats are suspiciously using their power to push out Dan Snyder as mega-donor Jeff Bezos expresses interest in buying the Washington Commanders. With the Commanders, the erstwhile Redskins slash Washington football team, Right. Is that they're always bad too? Like, w- w- like that's that's the like by hook or by crook. Yeah, it's dysfunction that is also affecting the team. Yeah. Like the, the the product on the field. Former Redskins, the Washington Commanders, are one of like the main teams in the NFL. They were always really successful for a long time back in the old days. In the '80s, they were always good, and then they won the Super Bowl as recently as 1991, which is a long time ago now, but. They've just been bad for so long. Dan Snyder took over in, I think, like 1999 or 2000. Mm, They've been bad the whole time. There's like in my head, I can pick out like one or two times where they were like relevant at all. And it was just like they had a a quarterback named Robert Griffin uh, III, and he was good for one year. And then. He, they made him play when he was injured and then he was never good again. Like they like screwed Mm. that up even. Mm. And like, they're just always bad. They're like, you know, there's been teams that have been good. There's runs and cycles. Teams are good and bad. But there's I can't think of that many teams that were bad the whole time since, like, the year 2000. What would you think of American football teams getting reg- uh, getting relegated? I would love it. I would love it. Because, I mean, but it, I understand it would change the economy of the whole thing. I mean, I love the relegation idea. It's I don't like soccer, this sport, but I love the business of soccer, you know, be teams relegating and the amount of pressure it puts on you and the financial rewards you can get from being good. And also like, you know, if you want to put a bunch of money in your team, we might raise up a level and it'll be worth it. All that stuff. I love that stuff. Um, I think that there's, it would never happen here. There's too much money. I mean, a good example is in, in baseball, you know, at one point, like the minor leagues were like other baseball leagues that were happening. Now they're like 100% beholden to the major leagues. They're just owned by the teams. It's mm, not it's not right. like a separate thing at all. Whereas like 
way back in like the early 1900s, you could have envisioned like, well, this team's going to get dropped down. This team's going to come up or, you know, there was a, there's a system in place. There's literally a minor league right. yeah. and that would never happen. It was just, it just would never happen. And mm. we even have a soccer league that we started in America that we also explicitly put in no relegation in that was started in the nineties, major league soccer. Yeah. And you know, if you're going to charge, you can charge someone a lot more money if they're guaranteed to always be in the league where you make a lot of money to, to yes. be in it. That's really what it is. In our final story today, Croatia joins Europe's free travel zone. Romania and Bulgaria are barred. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, Euronews, Yahoo Finance, the European Commission for Migration and Home Affairs, and the Migration Observatory. Europe's 26-member free travel zone welcomed Croatia as its latest member on Thursday, but opposition led by Austria is preventing Romania and Bulgaria from also joining amid criticism of growing unauthorized immigration. The so-called Schengen Area, which abolishes border checks between EU member states, as well as Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway, and Switzerland, is the world's largest free travel zone. Austria blocked Bulgaria and Romania's entrance to the Schengen, arguing that too many undocumented migrants are crossing into Austria from the two countries and that this needs to be solved first. The Netherlands also voiced its opposition to Bulgaria joining the zone, despite supporting Romania's bid, with France and Germany backing the applications of both Balkan states. In November, the EU's executive, the European Commission, pushed for Croatia, Bulgaria, and Romania to be granted membership to the zone, stating that they have all the necessary tools, structures, and procedures in place to contribute to a well-functioning Schengen area. As citizens of EU member states, Bulgarians and Romanians have already had the right to travel freely and work throughout the EU since 2014. The European Commission brings us Narrative A on this story. These three countries have significantly contributed to the well-functioning of the Schengen area for years. They performed well during the pandemic and when faced with the unprecedented consequences of the war in Ukraine. Through reinforced protection of the common external frontier, an enlarged Schengen area without internal borders will make Europe safer and more attractive to businesses. It's time to also welcome Romania and Bulgaria into the passport-free Schengen area. And the Times of Malta delivers the narrative B. At this point, it doesn't make sense to enlarge the EU's free travel zone when it's clearly not working. Europe hasn't yet recovered from the 2015 influx of hundreds of thousands of people fleeing war and poverty in Syria, Afghanistan, and the African continent. Austria is still struggling to accommodate asylum requests, having more than 100,000 illegal border crossings this year alone. Admitting Bulgaria and Romania would only increase this irregular immigration. I love the idea of train travel and kind of like going around the different places. One of the uh, I moved to the East Coast, kind of where there's the 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 train, uh, not not for this reason, but I'm interested in that there's this kind of train region in the Northeast. Um, so this Schengen area like, really fascinates me. I think it's so cool to be able to travel around all these different countries and be on the train and 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 not be kind of hemmed in. Oh yeah, it's, it sounds like so much fun. I wish that we could all get along better as a human species. That you know, travel could be, you know, borderless and free and we could share in cultures and uh, skip around and be jolly. I really do. Yeah. 
it would be it would be nice, but uh, you, I wouldn't hold your breath. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, December 9th, 2022. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, you can visit our website, improvethenews.org, or download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. 